No, sir. No, uh, not that I've seen or, or heard of yet. Uh, no quakes around here. All right, so today is... Check the day because I'm usually always off. Today is Thursday, January, or February the 20th, 2020. My name is Ryan. This is the Kingsman Report. It's the news everyone ignores. Uh, I'm going to go over today's headlines. Uh, what I found so far. I'm going to start with one here in Tulsa. Um, and then I'll move on. You can catch the replay. I'll put this on YouTube later. I'll upload it there. And I'll premiere it so you, if anyone wants to watch it, they can watch it over on YouTube. If anyone wants the links to any of the socials, anything like that, it's in the... Um, if you go to Anchor, it's on Anchor. If you go to YouTube, it's in the About section. If you go to DLive, it's in the uh, About section. So all the links are there. Or you can just go to the website and everything is there. So like I said, my name is Ryan. This is the Kingsman Report. It's the news everyone ignores. And uh, these are today's headlines. So I'm going to start with one here in Oklahoma. Like I said, nothing really interesting happens in the state. I mean, it, it's just dependent upon certain things this uh we passed a uh a permitless carry here in oklahoma um i think it was last november october so you, it's a constitutional carry you can carry your pistol on your hip without uh, without a, a permit so since we've done this we've been having people come from different states with liberal ideologies and they're trying to get um they're trying to get this taken away so i think they sent in a bill to repeal it and that bill was shot down today of course uh people people um here in this state like guns i mean it's you're, you're not gonna get them so the article this is from uh KOCO.com. Uh, Just call him Coco. Um, bill to repeal permitless carry in Oklahoma fails to pass House Committee. So I'm going to talk about uh, this is like the only local article I have. I have some news on coronavirus. Obviously, Roger Stone got three years and four months uh, prison sentence today, which was a lot less than what they were going to. I have Julian Assange news. I have uh, just various different types of things I'm going to read about today when I'm finished. Like I said, this will go on YouTube, and this will go in podcast form. So you can catch it in a podcast, you can catch it in YouTube. I'll create the thumbnail and all that stuff after this. The article says, A bill that would repeal the permanentless carry law in Oklahoma failed to pass the House Committee on Thursday. House Bill 3357, authored by uh, Representative Jason Lowe, failed to pass the House Public Safety Committee in an 11-to-1 vote. So he was probably the only cat that voted. It says, uh, Lowe said the bill is, quote, a product of hundreds of conservative, uh, uh, excuse me, conversations I have had personally with Oklahomans who don't want irresponsible gun owners to carry firearms in public. Lowe also filed a petition with the Oklahoma Secretary of State to repeal permitless carry, and there will be a period during which people can challenge the petition in front of the Supreme Court. The Secretary of State will then set a period during which people supporting the petition can be, begin gathering signatures. Lowe said more than 95,000 signatures are needed in 90 days. The permitless carry law went into effect November the 1st, uh, 2019, and in October, law filed 
that Lowe filed a lawsuit aimed at stopping permanentless carry from going into effect. An Oklahoma Supreme Court judge determined that the law is constitutional and denied a request asking for an injunction on the law. Lowe's request for an emergency motion for stay and temporary injunction of the law with the Oklahoma Supreme Court was also denied. It's this fail, uh, like, so that's the gist of it. Um, we are a constitutional carry state. Ever since this law has passed, they've been trying to take it away from us. They tried to take it away from us before that, and uh, I think Cory Booker made a little trip down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, obviously, you know, the, the Democrats welcomed him here, but uh, the Republican Party, uh, conservatives didn't want him here. His sole purpose was to try to get this bill repealed. It looks like it's not going to happen. Uh, there's a few things people in Oklahoma like, and that is God first, their guns, and their ganja. And I don't think uh, they're going to be successful in getting any of that stuff. Um, but we will see. Alright, so I'm going to go into uh, the Roger Stone article here. And if you know, uh, I guess the Department of Justice stepped in so that this bill was crazy the amount of years they were trying to give him so it looks like it was lower substantially to the amount I think you could do three years and get out uh, it says Roger Stone sentenced to more than three years in prison this is from Zero Hedge longtime Trump ally Roger Stone was sentenced to 40 months in prison and paid $20,000 fine on Thursday for witness tampering in line to Congress he will be on probation upon his release I think he can do it So, despite a controversial move by Attorney General William Barr to overrule federal prosecutors' recommended sentence, Judge Amy Berman Jackson added enhanced, quote, points to his sentencing guidelines as the hearing went on, saying stoned belligerence and lies are a threat to the very foundation of our democracy. The truth still exists, she added, and the truth still matters. Judge Jackson says on Roger Stone's obstruction of justice, this is uh, intolerable, to the administration of justice and the court should not sit idly by, shrug its shoulders, and say, well, it's just that, uh, it's just Roger being Roger. The execution of the sentence will be delayed until Jackson decides whether Stone's request for a new trial after the jury foreman, in this case, a former Democratic political candidate, uh, outed herself as a far-left Democrat who had po uh, posted inflammatory anti-Trump content on social media. Stone was convicted in November on seven counts, including lying to Congress, tampering with a witness, and obstructing House Democrats' investigation into a Russian collusion, according to the Associated Press. Thursday's jail sentence comes on the heels of a mini-revolt inside the Justice Department after Attorney General William Barr overrode four career prosecutors who recommended an absurd seven or nine years in prison for process crimes, a decision that President Trump called a, quote, miscarriage of justice. Having given any thought, but I think he's been treated very unfairly, said Trump this week, who called uh, the original sentence a miscarriage of justice. So I'm not going to read the entirety of it. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows what's going on with that. Uh, so Roger Stone, three years, four months. I think he can do it and he'll get out. But like I said, probation, he's still going to be on probation. Morning, Alan.
right. So I've gathered a bunch of articles. I didn't set it all up like I usually do, so I'm just going to go at them as I, uh, as I pull them up here. Alright, um, so I'm going to talk about Turkey too because, you know, Turkey and and uh, Russia, it seemed like they were kind of in cahoots with, you know, getting a, I guess, a, a declaration established over in uh, uh, Syria. Now it looks like they're not doing to, so good together to the point where, and I'll, I'll cover this, down the line, I got some articles on it, to the point where Erdogan is coming to the U.S. for Patriot missiles. As you know that, if you follow what's going on over there, Erdogan has uh, previously bought S-400 missile defense systems from Putin. So now he's coming to us. So something is awry. Um, I'm going to read some articles on that, but I always say this, keep your eye on Turkey. So this article is going to talk some about the coronavirus. Uh, it says, two diamond princess passengers die of coronavirus. As Japanese health officials begin the second day of uh, offloading passengers and crew from the Diamond Princess cruise ship that has been under quarantine in Yokohama for the last two weeks, the Japanese press is reporting that two passengers from the ship have died. The report cites unidentified government officials. Even as roughly 600 passengers disembark on Wednesdays, Japanese officials announced 75, 79 more confirmed cases aboard the ship on Wednesday, bringing the total number of infected to 621, the largest outbreak outside mainland China. In the U.S., the CDC has questioned the wisdom of Japanese officials and accused them of failing uh, to properly quarantine the ship, particularly after 14 passengers found to be carrying the virus were allowed onto a U.S. evacuation flight. All the passengers leaving the ship have reportedly been tested for COVID-19, and according to the cruise line. Several hundred other passengers who aren't taking uh, reparation flights to their home countries are expected to leave the ship on Thursday, and it's unclear what will happen to them after that. Uh, I'm sure they'll be quarantined. Most of the passengers will be ferried back to their home countries where they'll face another two weeks of quarantine. Japanese health officials are expected to begin offloading more passengers shortly since it's already mid-morning on Thursday in Tokyo, and it's not clear how these deaths will affect the process, if at all. May throw them in those incinerators uh, that they're passing around over there. These are the first deaths since Hong Kong reported its second death, and Iran reported two virus-related deaths. It brings the death uh, toll, the death toll X China to nine, and they mark the second and third deaths in Japan, respectively. Details about the deceased haven't been released. And that was from Zero Hedge. So what I'm going to do here, um, because people are going over to my videos and uh, my Discord and just taking the articles and then running them over to other people, saying we found this. I'm not posting the articles in the links anymore, or the links in the descriptions anymore. If you want an article from me, you can ask me for it, uh, or you can go find it for yourself. I'll tell you where I got it because I'm reading articles from other people, but I'm not going to do the work for everybody else out here. All right, so 
from blacklisted news. This article is how China is working to quarantine the truth about coronavirus. Censorship, diversion, and lying Google's core principles. It says uh, this piece is useful in understanding state behavior in general and their large lab dog media and social networking organizations. In its battle to contain the coronavirus, the Chinese government has undertaken a wide range of measures from shutting down cities to using drones to monitor and compel public compliance with public health uh, edicts. But the regime is also waging a second battle, a campaign to control the world's discussions of the first. Weapons is this information war are Beijing's massive media and online control mechanisms it's three prevailing tactics, all too common across authoritarian regimes and wider online warfare, are censorship, diversion, and lying. China's efforts show how an online battle for the public security sometimes works in opposition to public health, and it reveals the priorities of an authoritarian regime. So it's just a, uh, a short, it's kind of like a, you know, an opinion. But if you don't know that that's already going on. Oh, I have all I have all these articles. I save every single article that I go through. I save all the articles. It's not. Uh, I have them saved in three different places, so I'm not necessarily worried about all that. But like I said, if someone wants the news articles that I gather up. Because it takes time to do this. Um, they can ask me for them directly. Or they can say, well, he got it from here, and then they can go hunt it down themselves. All right, so I'm going to cover some more on uh, coronavirus. This seems to be the uh, all the news is about. Key Apple supplier uh, Henix tells 800 workers to stay home after trainee contracts virus. This is from Zero Hedge. Excuse me. Chip maker SK Henix, a key Apple supplier, reported Thursday that a trainee tested positive for COVID-19 at its Incheon, South Korea facility, reported Reuters. So this is Zero Hedge mirroring. Rooters, okay, this is what they do. You can find it on there and then run it to your uh, other people's if you're lurking in the background, not saying shit like usual. Um, Henix told 800 employees on Thursday not to return to work and conduct self-quarantining at their homes as a prevention measure to stop the spread of the deadly virus. Henix is one of the top chip makers in the world and is a major supplier of Apple and Huawei. As Hynix, I guess it's Hynix, um, spokesperson said the 800 employees represented 0.45045% of its workforce in Ishion, Ishion. A source told Reuters that another employee had also, also had symptoms of the virus but tested negative. A second test is expected in the coming days. And as a precautionary measure, the chip maker is expected to close its training facility and hospitals in Ishion by the end of the week to prevent further transmission of the virus. 
On Wednesday, South Korea reported its first death of the virus, with new cases totaling 104. The epicenter of the new cases has been in the city of Daegu, which is a little over 110 miles from Hynix, uh, Hynix, Hynix, Ischion facility. So here's the map here, where it's located. Read the Chinese. Thank you for the uh, donations, War. Appreciate it. says, on Monday, Apple issued a statement admitting it does not, or quote, it does not expect to meet the revenue guidance for the 1Q due to the production woes at its assembly plants. Foxconn, the main iPhone assembler, is currently operating at 30% to 50% capacity and will be constrained through April. And there's a lot of obstacles from labor shortages to logistics tra transportation that has been unresolved because of the virus has shut down two-thirds of China's economy which is absolutely crazy. It's like uh, one of the largest economies in the world and it's come to a screeching halt, no transportation, all their meat. Uh, I covered it. I don't know if the other goon covered it, but I covered it. Uh, Dabu7 covered it uh, about all the shipping containers that are, are basically just sitting there full of meat and supplies that are probably going to go bad. Um, transportation's to a halt. It's just a matter of time till the food's gone uh, and the contamination just ran rampant to the point that uh, these people are, it's not only going to be pestilence, it's going to be famine. So I hope it doesn't go that far, but that's looking like what's going to happen. It says a significant concern that lingers for Apple is an uh, intricate network of suppliers in China and across Asia is, of, is if the virus will be contained in the coming weeks. Probably not. Uh, if not, production woes will hit suppliers like Samsung Electronics, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, and SK Phoenix. Uh, thank you for the donation. Reuters noted via a source with direct knowledge that some Apple suppliers are already starting to develop pr uh, production issues in China. And if one component factory stays closed and their only supplier, then everyone has to stop and wait. And if there are two suppliers and one is shut down, then we need the other to do more, the source said. So, this isn't the only issue because we're having this big battle with Huawei right now. Uh, Trump has apparently, allegedly, had a phone call with Boris Johnson. Uh, and they, from what they say, and this is, you know, someone else is saying this in a news article. From what they say is that he slammed down the phone after his conversation because Trump doesn't uh, doesn't agree with um, the UK allowing Huawei to be their role or help with the rollout of their 5G. They, he thinks it'll be a huge blow to the security of both nations, especially the United States, um, because they're one of our close they're one of our closest allies, not the closest, but one of them. So we're I think we're going to stop selling China in the article that I read. We're going to stop selling China certain uh, chip technologies or the technologies to build the chips and some of the components that are used to build semiconductor chips. So I think we're going to cut them out of that as well. Um, so this is, to me, it's starting to look like maybe this was started. Maybe it's to crush the economy. Maybe it has to do with this uh, semiconductor and electronics, uh, you know, like an asymmetric warfare to attack certain parts of the country without firing a single shot. It is a possibility.
Uh, it goes on to say, as for Apple chip suppliers and the semiconductor industry as a whole, the virus could be what pops the bubble. We're going to see. Like I said, um, certain things to me, just things aren't coincidental to me. Um, if you go to the last video I did uh, where it talks about the monetary system, and I keep telling people, other people are saying this is rumors, but as soon as it comes out, they're going to jump on all over it like they said at first. Um, we're going to go to a, a, uh, a cryptocurrency. Eventually, we'll get there. It was called USC before. If you have a Coinbase wallet, then you know this. It's called USD coin, and you can buy USD coin right, right now. Go to your Coinbase wallet. You can purchase some. We will go there. It's it may be, it, it might be being kicked around right now via you know Powell and Munchen. They may be the Treasury and the Fed may be kicking the idea around right now. But they've been experimenting with this as long as China's been experimenting with the digital wand or before. It's nothing new, and I think that the cryptocurrencies that are available now are experimental to society to see whether or not people will latch on to that idea, or um, if they continue to accept just a, a, a tangible fiat currency that really has no value. It's just a promissory note. Or they can trade on something that is valuable on whatever the blockchain says it is. I think we'll get there. I don't. I, it may be a rumor right now, but if you research it, it's they've been it's been in process for a very long time. So all these other guys that spread stupid propaganda and then say something like that is um, a rumor right now. Well, then it's been a rumor since 2012. And I did a video a couple days ago. You can go and watch it on YouTube. It's on podcast form. Um, Got to always look at what they're not telling you. Um, even the guys that push the propaganda on here, the fear, that aspect of it. Take what they say. Take what I say. Go and research it. Just type all that stuff in. Go to my videos and watch it. I'm not one of those guys that say, here's just this portion of this. Be afraid. Here's this portion. Dude, I've told everybody before all these other guys jumped on it, and, and it's in video proof. I told everyone we would go to war as soon as we hit January 2020, and we did, or we had a little conflict. I, it's called a year of conflict, 2020 year of conflict. It's in my YouTube channel. And then it happens, and all these guys are, we, 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 well, look at all this. Yeah, I was covering it before it happened. I told you who was going to be involved. I told you everything. I told you everything about what was going to happen. And then they took that thumbnail and stole it and used it for someone else's video. So this article says, Coronavirus deaths outside of China surge overnight as South Korea city faces unprecedented crisis from Zero Hedge. So less than an hour ago, we mentioned that Beijing's heavy-handed virus-fighting measures had become the subject of intense, quote, public debate about whether they were doing more harm than good. Well, according to an unconfirmed report from the Epoch Times, Jennifer Zhang, Party officials in Beijing are upgrading its, quote, epidemic prevention status to Wuhan level, meaning a complete lockdown where residents aren't allowed to leave their homes without specific permission. So, 
Uh, this is translated right here. It says, this is a rumor I just heard. Just now the neighbor called and said that Beijing has just finished the meeting and Beijing's epidemic prevention had been upgraded to Wuhan level. Do not know why. Let's hurry up tomorrow to buy grain, water, batteries, etc. Another tweet sent earlier in the day reported new restrictions being imposed at Beijing's apartment complex. Think the Wuhan virus outbreak is slowing. Doesn't feel that way on the ground. My Beijing apartment complex just instituted new rules barring non-residents. We need special passes to get in and out. Only three passes per apartment. Uh, a sorry family of four, you're out of luck. How much longer can the party keep this up before, damage, uh, before it damages public confidence to a degree that it can be repaired? So I'll go through these updates here, but it says, and what appears to yet to be another consequence of Beijing's rushed push to get all of China, quote, back to work nearly two weeks ago, the Global Times, a Chinese tabloid, also publishes in English. The hospital in central Beijing has reported 36 novel coronaviruses as of Thursday, a sharp increase in the numbers of the case reported in the, in the city, in the capital city. The new cases bring Beijing's total to 45, stoking fear that the outbreak could accelerate. Among the infected, at uh, Fuxing Hospital in Beijing's Exing District were eight medical workers, nine cleaning staff, and 19 patients, along with members of, of their families. These confirmations follow reports that Beijing's official quarantine whole office building following um, after some employees were suspected of having the virus. Considering 36 confirmed cases were found in Fuxing Hospital, it is more about one case of multiple infections rather than an epidemic of the whole area. Wang Gangfa, director of the Department of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine at Peking University First Hospital, told the Global Times on Thursday, this coronavirus issue is big. It will, uh, it will affect a lot of companies, and it, I think the, market, the markets have underestimated what a big supply-side uh, supply shock this is said Mohamed El Arin, Bill Gross, former number two man at PIMCO, and a widely watched economist who works now with PIMCO parent uh, Allen's Alliance. Uh, Peking University's People Hospital, another major hospital in Beijing, confirmed it had received three patients carrying the virus earlier this week on February the 17th already. A total of 164 medical workers at the hospital have been placed under close medical observation after they had, quote, close contact with the patients, something that seems almost unavoidable for nurses and doctors. A total of 164 people, including medical staff at the People's Hospital who have had close contact with the patients, have been put under close, uh, have been put under close the hospital said it had conducted coronavirus tests on 251 personnel, and so far, they've all been negative. In other news, Another analyst, uh, analyst has told the GT that Apple's iPhone sales in China will shrink 40 to 50% in the near term after the company's closed all of its retail stores in the country earlier this month, and those stores have only just started to reopen. So it looks like uh, from the gist of this, uh, this virus may hit Beijing, or that's what they're worried about, or hit it more. But... Um, we shall see. Remember to vote. Well, remember to tell your people at your uh, electoral college who to vote for. 
by the way, if you guys didn't know this, and I covered this before, um, you used to be able to, if you were if you were in the electoral college and you were going to vote for the people, uh, for the person that the constituents want you to vote for, you used to be able to go and change your mind at the very end. Now they're going to start finding people that do that. Um, so I don't know if even a lot of people knew that. All right, so now I'm just going to go through uh, a bunch of articles, other articles that I have on here. Uh, this is a little Space Force news for you. It says, new Space Force is purchasing uh, projected at $4.7 billion by 2025. Now, if you don't know, I've covered this. It's a program called Pegasus. A lot of people don't know what Pegasus is, but it incorporates Operation Bluebeam. It incorporates, uh, it's from 1997 was when the... Uh, the official documents came out and was kicked around by the U.S. government and gave projections of the capabilities that the government would be able to do via the military and technical aptitude that we now have, which I believe we've had it for a very long time, uh, but how they would be able to take those things and implement those into a military. So less soldiers, more uh, tech fighting each other, whether it's androids, um, drones, whatever you want to call it. Um, so in this in this uh, Pegasus program, uh, they coined the word Space Force or Space Command, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It was and always has been a branch of the U.S. Air Force, and it's just only till recent, whenever Trump got into office, that he's made it an, another branch separate, but still the same part, part of the Air Force. So this is talking about something they want to do by 2025. Why I brought up Pegasus is is Pegasus has the projections for 2025. It talks, it's going to talk about all this crazy tech that's going to come out here pretty soon that our, our government has, our military has, is already, this was talked about in 1997. I've showed the video, or I've showed the articles in multiple videos. You guys can go look it up. Um, so I'm not surprised by this. Uh, new Space Force purchasing project at $4.7 billion by 2025. So this is from um, bnnbloomberg.ca. That's uh, Mark Esper, by the way, and Trump. So the, uh, the new U.S., and it's not new. It's the Air Force. The, U, the new U.S. Space Force could see procurement reach $4.7 billion in fiscal 2025 as it expands steadily from the $2.4 billion requested for acquisitions in the coming year, according to projections by the White House Budget Office. The funding reflects the priority that President Donald Trump and Defense Secretary Mark Esper are placing on the new force, starting with a total proposed budget of $15.4 billion for fiscal 2021. The Air Force previously oversaw offensive and defensive operations in space and was the primary buyer of launch services. So they've always done this and they will continue to do this because they are one and the same. Whether you want to say they're separate, they've, they're separate now, but it is always, we've always had a space command. It has always been in the Space Force. I've had veterans tell me that it was long before 97 whenever I read it in um, Pegasus. So the Pentagon request sent to uh, Congress this month includes $2.4 billion for Space Force procurement of satellites, terminals, ground control stations, launch services, and communications security. 
The procurement finding is estimated to grow $2.7 billion in 2022, $3.4 billion in 2023, $4 billion in 2024, and $4.7 billion in fiscal 2025, according to the Office Management and Budget projections released with the Defense Department five-year budget plan. Ah, it's a mouthful. Then the procurement funding, $1 billion, would pay for three national security satellite launches on fiscal 2021. $1.4 $1.4 billion for five launches on uh, a year in 2022 and 2023. $1.6 billion for six in 2024 and $1.9 billion for seven in 2025, according to a separate breakdown by the Air Force. The Space Force's intent is to compete as much as possible uh, all launch service procurements where more than one certified provider can service, quote, or can service the missions according to the budget document. The eligible competitors at this point uh, are Jeff Bezos, of course, um, Blue Origin LLC, Northrop Grumman Corp, Elon Musk, SpaceX, and the United Launch Alliance, a partnership of Boeing Company and Lockheed Martin. So out of all of these who I think will probably get it will either be SpaceX. I don't, because he's, Jeff Bezos is just getting in the game. It'll either be uh, SpaceX, Lockheed, or Northrop. Um, which they're more of munitions at Northrop, but Elon's been doing it, and Lockheed is uh, it's Lockheed Skunk Works. They've been in the game forever. Um, which they built a lot of crazy uh, craft. Some of it Air Force uses. Uh, TR three B Astra is one of them. Uh, the stealth bomber. They've, I mean, so as far as launching, Elon Musk, but I don't even know Lockheed's capabilities. United Launch Alliance and SpaceX have competed for the current phase of launches. The Air Force plans to select two of the eligible contractors in May to compete for subsequent launches. Yeah, it'll be uh, Elon and Lockheed. Contact the reporter on the story, blah, 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 blah. So, a little Space Force news for everybody. shall see yeah uh, I'm sorry I'm reading if you're listening to some podcast if I went silent then um, I'm listening to uh, or I'm reading the uh, chat here but, um, yeah, I see what you're saying there. So, uh, you guys should love this here. The Pentagon lost track of $715 million in weapons and gear funneled to anti-ISIS allies in Syria. This article came out uh, a couple days ago. Uh, this is from taskandpurpose.com. Uh, so the article goes on to say a Syrian commando and training applies a safety. So that's this uh, picture there. But uh, the U.S. government failed to effectively account for nearly $715.8 million in weapons and equipment allocated to the Syrian partners as part of the multinational counter-ISIS fight, according to a new report from the Defense Department Inspector General. Because they lose weapons all the time. This so this isn't anything new. What hap- What do you think happens when they started pulling troops out? Do you think they? It, it, it would have cost them more money to take 
the tanks, some of the machinery. It would cost more money to ship all that back to the country. They left the crap out in the desert, and it was acquired acquired by some of these terrorist groups. I mean, that's just the... Just read a lot of news. You'll, you'll figure this out. So, this is the auto publicly released on Tuesday. So, I'm sure if you go to this link, you can find it. It says the auto publicly released on Tuesday revealed officials with Special Operations Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve, quote, did not maintain comprehensive list of all equipment purchased and received to equip Syrian allies in the anti-ISIS fight known as CTEF. S equipment in fiscal years 2017 and 2018 due to the lack of central repository for accountability documentation. In addition, officials with the First Theater uh, Sustainment Command quote, did not properly store or secure the relevant equipment in accordance with the Pentagon guidelines so far that in at least one case, First TSC personnel stored weapons outside in metal shipping containers exposed the equipment to harsh environmental elements such as heat and humidity because you know there's so much i mean there is heat but there's so much humidity in that desert let me tell you um, dry heat and lies we're in a world of lies Yeah, they leave it behind, uh, Sky. That's just what they do. And then it's acquired. And then we're like, oh, they got weapons from, uh, you know, someone shipped weapons over there. Or it costs more to ship it back over here. So um, you can say they oversent stuff. And, that, and, and the plan was to leave it there because they didn't want to ship it back. So, so that people, nefarious actors within our government was just releasing uh, some munitions out into some of these groups here. You could say that was part of the plan. I mean, I, I wouldn't be too far-fetched from half the crap that I read. Um, but you never know. So the article goes on to say, the core focus of the report is the resulting equipment uh, redundancies that arise from poor accounting. Without accurate accountability records, such as inventory records and hand receipts, SOJTF-OIR personnel could order equipment that the same... SOJ already has in stock, risking unnecessary spending of the CTEF-S funds and further overcrowding the BC, uh, BPC Kuwait warehouse, resulting in equipment being stored outside. Basically what I'm saying here. Poorly maintaining gear or ordering duplicates is one thing. Maintaining custody of sensitive equipment, especially weapons, is another. Indeed, the Department of Defense audit found the lack standards for gear accountability left, quote, thousands of weapons and other gear, quote, vulnerable to loss or theft, or just handing it over and saying, oh, they stole it. Uh, while the Military Times uh, rightfully notes that the audit doesn't indicate that any of these weapons ended up in enemy hands, the audit suggests that a lack of clear accounting makes it impossible to determine what gear, if any, may have ended up where it doesn't belong. Uh, probably attached to those uh, missiles that they're launching over uh, all over the place. It says, without conducting consistent inventories and ensuring proper security for the CTEFS equipment, First TSC could not determine whether items were lost or stolen, which could delay the initiation of an investigation, according to the report. This is generally not great, but also deeply unsurprising. 
Indeed, a damage report from Amnesty International published in May of 2017 suggested that the U.S. has already failed to track more than $1 billion in arms transferred to Iraq and Kuwait security forces as part of OIR, a lack of accountability that didn't stop the U.S. from requesting that $715.8 million in weapons and gear to equip Syrian forces. A task and purpose has previously reported this lack of gear accountability among both U.S. forces and other foreign countries has only fueled the capabilities of non-state actors like ISIS. In August 2017, Iraqi forces, security forces turned up an FGM-148 Javelin anti-tank missile and launcher while expelling militants from a city of Talafar the following month. An ISIS propaganda video showed a jihadi sniper rocking a U.S. I like how he said, rocking rocking a U.S.-made 7.62-millimeter uh, MK-14 enhanced battle rifle. Rocking. Uh, this has been a problem since the beginning of the global war on terror, and indeed a 2016 investigation into 14 years of Pentagon weapons contracts by nonprofit action on armed violence revealed that of nearly 1.5 million firearms that the DOD provided to Afghan and Iraqi security forces, officials only had records of around 700,000 weapons. At 1.5 million, they only had records of 700,000. Those weapons can turn up when you least expect them, in the worst possible way. Consider the deaths of two members of the 7th Special Forces Group, an insider, uh, an insider attacked in Afghanistan's Nangahar province earlier this month. According to the New York Times, Afghan soldier who killed him didn't use the Soviet-era Kalishnikov, but a M249 squad automatic weapon supplied by the United States. According to the Pentagon audit, the SOJTF.-OIR and the 1st TSC personnel agreed with the problems detained by the DOD-OIG and immediately initiated, quote, corrective actions to address the lack of accountability among the U.S. military gear. But according to the report, this may be too little too late. And without a proper system, the U.S. has no way of knowing which gear is ended up in the wrong hands. Uh, Paul uh, is a Marine veteran. I see him there in the uh, chat. And you can probably tell. I don't think he was in um, logistics. Uh, but I've read it. I'm sure he's probably read it. Um, yeah, they can totally... Um, They'll leave stuff behind because it costs more to get back over here. So, all right. So uh, here is a article on Julian Assange. This article says Julian Assange has uh, incontrover uh, incontrovertible evidence. That will destroy the Democratic Party once and for all, suggests uh, Representative uh, Rock Bakar, or whatever this guy's name is. And this is from, so this is this is like a way, way, um, it's illicitinfo.com. So this is like a way, how can I put this? A way, not far left, far right. Uh, it's just very, very underground um, alternative media website. So. Keep that in mind. This is probably somebody's opinion based upon um, a statement made, so we'll read it. Yeah, it's an opinion. So,
He goes on to say Assange's WikiLeaks has uh, was the source of the hacked DNC emails that the deep state claimed was the foundation to begin the Russia hoax attacks and the surveillance of Donald Trump, first as candidate and then as president. Except that uh, was never proven. There was a murder, but the weapon was reportedly never found, uh, or more correctly, never examined by forensic experts. Why? Why was this declaration by CrowdStrike and DNC contractor taken as a gospel? So here's one of the documents, unclassified. Um, and you can go through this and read it later. When President Trump asked for Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's help with getting the DNC server from CrowdStrike, he was impeached by corrupt politicians looking out for their own interests. The Russian hoax has been completely debunked except for one important point, an exclamation point. Were the Russians even responsible for the hacked emails that WikiLeaks made public? When the answer is known, if it is, uh, when that answer is known, if it is never, or if it is ever known, and it is determined that Russia was not involved, well, that's when the entire lie of Trump-Russia collusion is exposed. That's when the plot orchestrated by the corrupt Washington politicians, a corrupt intelligence community, and an equally corrupt media to subvert the Constitution and remove a duly elected president becomes known to a wide swath of Americans. This is the danger. Uh, this corrupt construct of politicians spooks and their narrative engineers face if Assange is successfully extradited to the United States where he can testify. So, uh, Congressman Dana Robichar, uh, the only elected U.S. official to actually talk with Julian Assange, said this about what he learned from the face-to-face -face meeting. I'm going to play this. Uh, it'll, it's going to get a copyright strike on um, YouTube. I really don't give a crap. But we'll see what this says. Intel Committee has officially subpoenaed the Justice Department. Now, according to a report from the AP, the House Intel Committee has officially subpoenaed the Justice Department and the FBI for information related to the now-debunked Trump-Russia dossier. Now, you might remember this dossier made, well, extremely obscene, fake allegations about then-candidate Trump. And according to a piece by Byron York in the Washington Examiner, quote, the subpoenas are an indication of growing frustration inside the committee over the FBI and Justice Department's lack of cooperation in the Trump-Russia investigation. Here with reaction, California Congressman Dana Rohrabacher. Congressman, how is that possible? Because, you know, how did they, if you have subpoenaed and you're the committee, how are they not turning this over to you, especially well, now that we know that it's false and phony and fraudulent? Well, obviously, what's happened is that the FBI and our and various people in our intelligence community have been politicized by this rule of liberal left democrats uh... you know eight years of control of our uh, executive branch of government by uh, one of the furthest left presidents we've ever had, if not the furthest left. Uh, this has politicized and degraded the, the, uh, uh, the quality and the standards of our intelligence community and the FBI. This is, a, this is what Obama left us. Uh, how horrible is that? You met with Julian Assange. Yes. I've interviewed him five times, radio and TV. WikiLeaks has never been proven wrong in 11 years. You told me on radio you believe him. And he's told you that he can prove, and he would be the one person that know that knows, 
where the information came from that leaked on the DNC. He told you he has incontrovertible, irrefutable evidence that in fact shows Russia was not involved. That's correct. And now when that, when we realize if that's the case, that Russia was not involved in uh, hacking or, or stealing those, uh, those, those emails from the Democratic National Committee and then having them disclosed, once we know the Russians weren't involved, then we have to understand that this massive propaganda campaign, this, this historic con job that happened after the election to prevent our president from exercising the powers granted to him by the vote. How? This is one of this is one of the great crimes, political crimes against the American people in our history. How confident are you, percentage-wise, that it was never Russia? Uh, I would suggest that I'm 99 percent sure wow. that it, that it was not Russia because. Uh, uh, Julian has made very clear that we're not relying on him. People say, well, who do you believe, our intelligence services or Julian? No, no, we're not talking about trust or believing someone. When this man says, I have hard evidence, that's what you do. You look at the evidence, and uh, I will say that uh, uh, when he shows us the hard evidence and we have proof, all right, that here's the next question. Do you think in any way it could be debate. related to the reason why, and I'm, I'm asking, you, and you investigate this, that it could be related in any way to the 33,000 deleted emails, the bleach bit acid wash, the destruction of uh, uh, Blackberries and iPhones, and Absolutely. maybe even Debbie Wasserman Schultz and, and her mess yeah. that she's got with her IT guy and, and busted yeah. up hard they, drives? Do you think they're all interrelated? The liberal left establishment got a twofer on this. Number one, they tried to immobilize and disrupt our new president, you know, negate the what happened during the election. That's number one. But number, because they lost the election. Number two, however, they have been able to distract us against from the real uh, story here, the real crimes that were committed in Russia with, a, with, with the Russians, which was the Hillary Clinton Foundation, which is Podesta, which is all oh of these God. people who were working with the Russians. I gotta run. Will, yes. will the American people get the absolute truth and will it prove that the media and Democrats have lied about this? Will this all come out and how soon? I will tell you that I have submitted to uh, Chairman Royce of the Foreign Affairs Committee, the chairman, a request for a hearing into Hillary and the Democrats who have been, and others. And they'll be proven Americans. having lied to the American people. That's right. All right, sir, thank you for being with us. Wowzers. Goes on to say, since uh, Robichar, I guess, uh, made those claims more than two years ago, his words have been ignored and mischaracterized by the deep state protected media. Yesterday, he sought to set the record straight. There's a lot of misinformation floating out regarding my meeting with Julian Assange, so let me provide some clarity on the matter. Um, and here's a whole letter. Alright, so... There are multiple witnesses and cyber forensic experts, including John uh, McAfee and William Benny, who have offered their testimony, but they have been ignored. This says... Uh, Democrats lied about Russia. Mueller lied about Russia. The destruction of Hillary Clinton wasn't a Russian job. It was a DNC insider who witnessed Clinton's corruption firsthand against Bernie Sanders. He decided to expose Clinton and her corruption. His name was Seth Rich. Seth Rich was murdered. His murder was never solved. 
Wonder why. Well, they say it was uh, some MS-13 guys that miraculously were found dead inside of a vehicle with gunshot wounds to their, their heads, I believe. That's who they pinned it on. Um, so Julian Assange is the last witness uh, with his first-hand knowledge of how the DNC emails came to WikiLeaks, and these are dangerous times for Assange. So, see what happens with this, whether you love him or you hate him. Um, We'll see what happens. All right. Oh, this next article. So I'm going to get into um, some Russia Turkey news. Like I said, I was telling everyone that uh, I, I asked the question before 2020 was here. It's in my, it's in my YouTube channel. Uh, it was 2020 uh, year of conflict with a question mark. So I'm asking a question, would 2020 be a year of conflict? And as soon as we rolled into 2020, we were automatically in conflict. So I always say watch um, Turkey. And I have a couple more articles here that I'm going to read that have to do with uh, Turkey and them going elsewhere to get uh, munitions because now it seems that Russia and Turkey may have a misunderstanding going on over in Syria. So it may spark something. Uh, this article says Russia warplanes repel attacks on Syrian army in Idlib as militants launch offensive aided by Turkish artillery. artillery. All right, so it says the Russian defense minister says its air force launched strikes to repel a militant offensive against the Syrian army in Idlib, which has sought to breach the government forces' defensive lines in Turkey's backing. The militants launched, quote, a massive offensive southeast of the city of Idlib using many armored vehicles, the Russian uh, reconciliation centers in Syria said on Thursday, adding that it was Turkish artillery that helped them breach the Syrian army defenses in some areas. Aerial footage published by the Russian Defense Ministry showed a Turkish self-propelled howitzer battery shelling the Syrian army positions. Turkish battery of self-propelled gun units uh, targets uh, target fire support groups during the militants' fires in Idlib. At the request of Damascus, Russians' Su-24 strike aircraft hit an advancing armed groups, helping Syrian forces to repel the offensive, destroying a tank and six infantry fighting vehicles, among other hardware. The Turkish forces stopped the artillery barrage after Moscow contacted Ankara, and the Reconciliation Center also said that the Turkish shelling left four Syrian soldiers injured. Moscow also once again called on Ankara to seize its support for terrorists in Idlib and stop handing over weapons to them. Meanwhile, Turkey's defense ministry said that two Turkish soldiers were killed and five others injured in the airstrikes. And the incident comes amid a spike in tensions between Damascus and Ankara. Turkey has opposed the Syrian army's advances in the battle against extremists and militants entrenched, militants entrenched in Idlib province for quite some time. On Wednesday, President Erdogan said that Turkey would not, quote, leave Idlib to the Assad regime and threatened to launch another incursion into the province. 
Turkey has, had already reinforced its outposts in the area, which is the last remaining major militant stronghold on the Syrian territory. Back in 2018, Russia and Turkey struck a deal in Idlib, on Idlib under which Ankara should have used its influence in the ground, on the ground to scale back the eventually halt attacks from within the troubled province. It also should have separated the, quote, moderate armed groups from the hardline extremists like al-Nursa, an al-Qaeda offshoot that also held much sway in the area. This approach was taken at the time as an alternative to the full-fledged offensive by the Syrian army. Yet, over the past years, none of the commitments Turkey undertook were effectively fulfilled. All right. Here's another article on uh, Turkey out of uh, Zero Hedge. The article says, Turkey threatens imminent large-scale invasion of Idlib to, haunt, to halt Syrian-Russia advance. So new threats related to Idlib this week could see the Russian and Turkish armies on a direct collision course. That's what I'm talking about. To the point where I said... Uh, Erdogan had bought S-400 missile defense systems from Russia, and now I don't know if they're not if they're not going to sell them anymore, if they're going to cut them off from them. But now he's coming to the United States and asking us for Patriot missiles. So they may these two may go to a head eventually and and pretty much kick everything off over here. So I mean, you never know. New threats related to Idlib this week could see the Russian and Turkish armies on a direct collision course, and Turkey's President uh, Erdogan on Wednesday threatened a full-scale military invasion of the war-torn province after the Syrian army and its Russian allies refused to halt their ongoing offensive. An operation in Idlib is imminent, Erdogan told Turkish Parliament, of precaution, or pre preparations for NATO's second-largest army. We are counting down. We are making our final warnings. Ish might get real. A Turkish tank. Turkey has completed preparations for the implementation of its plan on Idlib, just like we did with previous operations. Frankly speaking, an operation Idlib is only a matter of time, Erdogan said. He further emphasized that Turkey, quote, is determined to pay any price to ensure security in both Idlib and Turkey. The Syrian and Turkish armies have been engaged in sporadic, farce clash, fierce clashes for the past two weeks in Idlib, resulting in scores of dead and wounded on each side. Those specific numbers are, are those specific numbers are disputed. Turkey has acknowledged at least 13 of its national troops killed, and we will not leave Idlib to the Syrian regime, which does not understand our country's determination and to those encouraging it," said Erdogan. Turkey has thus far sent limited deployments of troops and armored convoys into the northwest Syrian province to support and defend a dozen observation points. 
Kremlin was quick to respond to such a threat of major escalation, pointing out that any Turkish offensive against Syria forces in Idlib would be the, quote, worst case scenario. Yeah, you'd probably unveil some of those hypersonic uh, missiles and use them. If it will be an operation against terrorist forces in Idlib, that would certainly be within the spirit of Russia's agreement with Turkey, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said before adding, quote, but if it is about an operation against legitimate Syrian armed forces, that would certainly be the worst-case scenario. The IDPs break into one of the humanitarian supplies warehouses as they are fed up, waiting for six hours in line so that little can be distributed. Talks between Turkish and Russian officials earlier this week related to Idlib failed to reach any agreement. This after Erdogan and Trump held a phone call where, wherein both leaders agreed the Syrian-Russian offensive must be halted Immediately, mainstream media has also begin, begun to again put Idlib coverage front and center as hundreds of thousands of civilians are said to be fleeing. Erdogan has long expressed fears that million or more refugees could flood across the Turkish border, adding to the already uh, some three million Turkey says it's hosting. UN figures state that at least 700,000 people have been displaced in Idlib since the fighting was renewed in early December. Uh, no, I haven't seen that. I think I have one more on. All right, so uh, these will be the three articles on Turkey I have. It says, in surprise flip, Turkey asked U.S. for Patriot missiles to deter Russia in Idlib. Major breaking development in the Battle of Idlib, Turkey has reportedly asked the United States for its Patriot missile defense system to, quote, to deter the Russian and Syrian army offensive in Idlib, reports of Bloomberg, citing an official in Ankara. It's like I said, Erdogan has bought S-400 missile defense systems from Russia. For some reason, now he wants Patriot missile defense systems. Um, so, it seems to me from just these three articles, and eventually it was going to happen anyways, uh, that there's something going on between Russia and whatever idea they or plan that they initially had, something has gone awry. So, it looks like Erdogan wants all of it, and uh, Putin wants to protect portions of it. So, see what happens. Um, the article goes on to say this would constitute a significant flip-flop and irony, and could prove deeply embarrassing for Erdogan, given it was long, uh, given its long-term stance on of Washington that would not provide patriots if Turkey went forward with procuring Russia's S-400s, which began transfer to Turkey last year. A senior Turkish official in Ankara was reported as saying Turkey asked the U.S. to deploy two Patriot missile defense batteries on its southern border to defend against Russian air power. Turkey is yet to receive a U.S. response in the request, which was relayed last week to James Jeffrey, the U.S. envoy for Syria, 
Syria engagement, the official said, asking uh, not to be identified discussing sensitive information that the U.S. Embassy in Turkey declined to comment. It means, this means Erdogan may have flipped on Putin as well. Certainly, such a request could mark a major turn back to the U.S. Turkey's powerful NATO ally. Turkey is supposedly asking the U.S. for Patriot missiles to deter the Russians, and no one could have ever seen this coming. I, I thought they were, look, because of all this going, and, uh, you know, uh, Russia and China and uh, Erdogan and China, they're now Erdogan has indebted himself to Xi Jinping. I talked about this in articles yesterday, and what Xi Jinping does is he gets these countries indebted to him, and if they can't pay it back, then he you capitalize on that debt by taking something of value from them, whether it's their ports, um, any of those things. So how I saw what was coming happen, or what came in the beginning of 2020, how I foresaw that is after the sanctions hit um, Turkey, Erdogan goes to Xi Jinping at $6.4 billion in, uh, in money, and then Turkey goes into Syria, and everyone's like, why the hell would they do something like that? Well, uh, the idea is for Xi Jinping to uh, capitalize in Africa to build manufacturing plants with smart cities. That's going on. I've covered that. And he wants to open the old Silk Road is what it used to be called. But he wants to open trade routes that go from Asia through the Middle East up into Russia and uh, into Europe. And he needs to clear those trade routes from any terrorist organizations that are over there. So he indebts somebody, hires them to do a job, and then they move into the Middle East to clear this certain area so that the trade routes going through this area are cleared from any, I guess, people that would hold up their trade from making it from one, from point A to point B. Um, so this is inevitably what Xi Jinping's plan is. So now it looks like he would probably be indebted to him, and now it looks like, for some reason, um, the three, the or well, uh, two of the three people are now at uh, beefing with each other. So you have Putin and Erdogan, and then you had uh, Rouhani from Iran. All three were going to come together and draft pretty much constitution for Syria. So you had three outside entities going into Syria. They were going to draft a constitution, have nothing to do with the country themselves, but it was just basically looking out for the most interest, best interest, their own interest. And then you have now Putin and Erdogan, who are, it looks like they're going to separate from each other. By the way, we got on to uh, Erdogan for testing the S-400 missile defense systems that they got from Russia. We told him not to do it, and he did it anyways. So I don't know if we're going to give them any Patriot missiles. Because the idea is, U.S. has told everyone, stop giving Turkey weapons, because Erdogan is a wild card, man. He's just going to do whatever he wants to do. I don't think that they're going to give him any more. I don't think they're going to give him uh, another variation of a missile defense system. I don't think that that's going to happen whatsoever. Um, he's probably going to be up shit creek without a paddle. So... um it says it must be remembered that early last year things came to a head between Ankara and Washington to the point that Trump administration is issued an ultimatum that Turkey must ultimately choose between remaining in NATO or buying the Russia S-400s. And Turkey, of course, chose the latter, but events over Idlib could be the great undoing of Erdogan's previous pivot to Moscow. Uh, also, I can't remember what army is in charge of NATO's army right now, but 
the next one will be Turkey, which is the second largest military in NATO. Uh, so they'll be the head of NATO's army next. I forget forget who's uh, there right now. It may be uh, someone. I don't think it's someone we necessarily hear too much about, but so I would just keep this in mind. Watch Turkey. I, I always watch Turkey. Um, I've been watching it for 10 years. Uh, I would watch Turkey. But I think uh, anything Putin does is going to be retaliatory. I don't think it's going to be um, offensive. If he reacts, it's going to be in retaliation or defense. It's I don't think he's just going to go strike. Um, I think technology-wise, he probably has enough to, to do plenty of damage to um, uh, to Turkey. So this article says South Dakota considers. First state bill to outlaw all vaccine and medical mandates, which this will be amazing um, if this happens. So, it's from Blacklist News. It says, Who owns your body? A growing number of legislators in South Dakota believe you do. And here's my, here's my thing with this. If, if women have the right to choose when it comes to abortion, I think that you should have the right to choose whether you want to vaccinate or not vaccinate. If you're going to give someone the right to choose life or death for another human being, then you should at least give them the right to choose whether or not they want to vaccinate or not vaccinate. So where do you draw a line in your in your um, stance on pro-choice? Is it just pro-choice when it comes to child sacrifice? Or is it we want to mandate vaccinations for everybody and uh, you don't have a, a say? But you can have a say whether you want to kill your kid or not. Um, I don't understand that portion of it. I've always compared the two. So you're going to make everyone get vaccines, but if someone wants to kill another human being, then that's okay. They can choose whether or not they want to do that. Here in Oklahoma, um, I don't think you have that choice anymore. So they have introduced a bill to not only end vaccine mandates in the state, but all future medical mandates that may be introduced in generations to come. 150 years ago, this month, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision that because there was a deadly smallpox epidemic, the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, was allowed to charge a pastor $5 to opt out of a citywide vaccine mandate. The law didn't apply to children. That precedent has been the basis for the mandate of dozens of now li uh, liability-free vaccines for children and adults, where no epidemic or even one case exists at the cost of thousands or even hundreds of thousands per year to opt out. It is even the basis on which the Supreme Court ruled that women can be forced sterilized, can be forced sterilized for the good of themselves and society, of course. Bad precedent plus a century has resulted in the legalization of actual war crimes. The current vaccine mandate enforcement drive by Merrick, well, obviously, and friends has driven our community and those never questioned vaccines before now. Back to a basic question at hand. Who owns your body? A knee-jerk reaction and a normal human response for Americans is, I do. But that is not what the governments believe. Even under our Constitution, if individual liberties 
Governments strive to control even our medical choices, and if they can't, they will find a reason to justify it and the means to carry out their will. In 21st century America, there is no deadly epidemics of uh, communicable disease, despite the fact that we are subject to a constant fear campaigns that one is coming. In fact, so mu- in fact, no such event has happened in my lifetime. And the fear mongers want to scare you into fearing deadly epidemics. They have to go back more than hundreds of years. So the circumstances for the justification of the government's actions by Jacobson versus Massachusetts exist only in the history books. So in this age of medical tech, including vaccines that most people want, why do mandates still exist? And if Jacobson can justify the sexual uh, mutilation of women, then why else can it justify as medical technology progresses over the next century and beyond? Thank you for the donations. I appreciate it. What new medical interventions and body tech will the Gates Foundation invent to convene or bribe governments and NGOs to force people into utilizing? And where will the battle to end uh, <coughs> coerce medical care begin? Excuse me. I submit to you that it has begun in South Dakota today. South Dakota House Majority Leader Representative Lee Quam, Republican, has introduced House Bill 1235, an act to revise provisions regarding immunizations. The bill repeals all vaccine mandates in the Senate. South Dakota will be the first U.S. state to have no vaccine mandates at all, joining other governments like the U.K., Japan, and Canada in an uncoerced vaccine decision-making. But the bill goes even further. It ends medical mandates altogether. It adds new law that reads, in Section 5, that a new section be added. 334.226.1, discrimination immunization. Every person has the inalienable right to bodily integrity free from any threat of compulsion that the person accepts any medical intervention, including immunization. No person may be discriminated against for refusal to accept any unwanted medical intervention, including immunizations. The state of South Dakota would function under the truth that you own your body and codifies into law that you make your own medical decisions, and no one can coerce your choices for discriminate against or discriminate against you because of them. This is a real conversation that we should be having now begging the government not to take our our right to a bodily integrity or trying to claw back religious and philosophical exemptions to give us, quote, loopholes that allow us to make our own decisions about our own bodies is becoming an outdated conversation that is based on a lie, the lie that we have no right to bodily integrity in the first place, and government is doing us a favor by giving us even a medical exemption. Cambridge, in the turn of the 20th century, courts didn't care that Pastor Jacobs protested the violation of his body and his bank account based on the arguments that vaccines were not safe, that uh, that both he and his son had previous vaccine reactions, Jacob himself was injured in childhood, and they violated his religious uh, conscience. SCOTUS didn't care that Carrie Buck was a woman of sound mind who wanted to retain her ability to have children after she was raped and impregnated by a family member. They declared her intellectually disabled and, quote, imbecile, even though there was never any evidence that she had any disability, they then forced her to be sterilized. Harry Buck is a probable t- potential parent of socially inadequate offspring, likewise afflicted that she may be sexually sterilized without dis- uh, determent. 
to her general health, and that her welfare and society will be promoted by her sterilization. The state did, of course, have a stated compelling interest, as they always do, when they seek to violate the civil rights of Americans. This was it. In order to prevent our being swamped with incompetence, it is better for all the world if, instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for a crime, or to let them starve for their uh, imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continu continuing their kind. The principle that sustains compulsory vaccines is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. Jacob versus Massachusetts, 179 U.S. 11. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. And that justification was based on the existence of vaccine mandates. This is dead thinking. It is unconscionable uh, to the 21st century that such logic is allowed to stand in the law books that Buck versus Bell is still law. So I'm not going to read the entirety of it. I hope that they get their mandate and they tell Merck to go screw themselves and the rest of the people pursue it. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and argue with people that don't read the inserts and say that we're anti-vaxxers uh, because we decide not to put abortive fetal tissue in you. And then I'm going to say this. If you are against abortion, but you put vaccines in you that have aborted fetal tissue in you, you are a hypocrite. So you don't want the vaccines, but you want to use par portions of the vaccines to inject them into your body that have aborted fetal tissue in them. Makes no sense. It's disgusting. So I'm going to... Some of you guys might... Uh, what comments are being modded over there. Um, so this, this article says, Ayatollah tweets, Wealthy Zionists control America amid push to get him banned from Twitter. This is from Blacklisted News. So Ira Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah uh, Khamenei has marked the latest national event uh, commemorating the death of IRGC Quids Force Commander Qasem Soleimani by tweeting a deeply provocative statement asserting that quote, wealthy Zionists control America. The United States has reached the, quote, peak of arrogance and is controlled by wealthy Zionists and their corporate owners. <laughs> Just think of that statement right there. Wealthy Zionists and their corporate owners. I may not agree with certain ideologies that these people have, but... Or this dude, but I don't think anybody else is saying it. I honestly don't think anyone else is saying it. I think that I, if you're referring to that lady that was saying, um, eat the babies thing, I think she was trolling. I, I don't know. That lady can't, she, I mean, you can be crazy, but that lady was just off the Richter, like, batshit crazy. So, these are his words, but, I mean, certain politicians owned by corporations isn't too far-fetched, so. The article goes on to say, the statement comes after the first Islamic Republic top cleric and head of the regime previously slammed Trump's Mideast plan, quote, deal the century, as, quote, satanic, because it ultimately represents the Jewishization 
of Jerusalem and the suppression of Islamic identity. To the dismay of U.S. politicians, the satanic evil U.S. policy about Palestine, the so-called deal of the century, will never bear fruit by the grace of God. Khamenei wrote on his official Twitter account in late January. Yes, he's looking for a ban. He's hunt. He's he might get one. Uh, if you were in this country and you say some stuff like this, they'll ban you like that. Or if you post the truth article like Zero Hedge and it comes out that it was actually a truth, life ban for harassment, for putting harassing articles out to, to alter people's way of thinking instead of what the norm is that the mainstream media tells you or the CDC tells you or the CCP tells you or the WHO tells you. So let's give him a life ban and his article is actually true. Uh, it goes on to say, such inflammatory and religiously charged rhetoric will likely only fuel an ongoing initiative of hawkish Republican senators to get Khamenei and other top Iranian leaders banned from Twitter and other U.S. social media platforms. We are against the rule of oppression and arrogance, and this is what we mean by, quote, America. Today, the peak of arrogance is the U.S., which is controlled by a wealthy Zionist and their corporate owners. The U.S. is a manifestation of oppression, thus... They are uh, ab abhorred by the world. Earlier this month, a group of Republicans, including Ted Cruz from Texas and Tom Cotton from Arkansas, Marshall Blackburn from Tennessee, and Marco Rubio from Florida, wrote in a letter to Twitter. While the First Amendment protects the free speech rights of Americans and Twitter should not be censoring the political speech of Americans, the Ayatollah enjoys zero protection from the United States Bill of Rights. And as the leader of the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, directly responsible for the murder of hundreds of U.S. citizens, the Ayatollah and any American companies providing him assistance are entirely subject to U.S. sanctioned laws, they added. Twitter has long defended the position of never banning heads of state from the platform, given the need to publicly articulate a country's positions. Israeli media has carefully documented uh, Khamenei's recent history of lashing out at, quote, Zionists and Jews on Twitter, however, as the Jerusalem Post notes, he long underscores a distinction between political Zionism and adherence of the Jewish religion. Last year, the Ayatollah said Iran and its anti-Semitic, <laughs> it is not anti-Semitic in that the Jews live safely in Iran. In June 2019, he, uh, <laughs> Excuse me. He contrasted Iran's treatment of Jews with, quote, certain old Arab leaders who believe Jews should be thrown into the sea. Uh, these are his words. Again, I'm just reading a news article here. It's on your screen. It's not me saying this. He says Iran is only uh, opposed to, quote, Zionist regime. Regardless, American politicians and pundits typically view any and all disparaging remarks about Zionists, especially coming out of Iran or the Isl Islamic world in general, as anti-Semitic trope. Dude, they are going to, look, the Jews and the uh, Iranians, whatever you want to call them, uh, Muslims, they've been fighting long before you and I were even a thought. Um, uh, it, to call each other's na each other names, I'm, they do worse than that. They're like, oh, they can't call each other names. I thought, I, what, whatever happened to this like uh, thing we teach our kids whenever they're younger, or even we were taught sticks and stones. Like, dude, he can say whatever he wants to. Um, I think you should just allow people to say whatever the hell they want to. If if it if it's uh, if it offends certain people, then their words, man, their words. 
I understand he has done damage to uh, U.S. forces, that killed people, but if some dude says "f you" and then it it just it makes you go lose your shit and then want to go attack that person, small minds, small minds. Think of it that way. Be a bigger person. Being offended by. Um, so I'm going to get into a couple more articles. I'm going to kind of bounce back on the, um, the, this has to do with like the market and, uh, coronavirus. And then I have one more article, uh, about globalists. So our lovely globalist overlords. The luck may be the only thing standing between the coronavirus and a U.S. stock market crash. This is from blacklisted news. The slowdown in Chinese manufacturing and the ripple effect on global supply chains will hit the global economy hard even if a recession can be avoided. If the outbreak cannot be contained by summer, a crash worse than the 2008 crisis awaits American inflated asset markets. So, it goes on to say, China's manufacturing sector will take quite some time to get back to normal. The global supply chain is being disrupted, triggering production stoppages in other industrial centers. China will at least struggle through this month, and the odds are high and rising that the coronavirus crisis will last through March which may be enough to push the global economy into recession. There is a significant chance that the crisis will last until summer, and the economic distribution, uh, disruption may pack enough of a punch to pop the biggest global bubble centered around the U.S. stock market in modern history. The coronavirus outbreak appears much more serious and more likely to persist than appeared to be the case just two weeks ago. In addition to disrupting the service sector at an estimated cost of 0.5% of gross domestic product per week, the manufacturing sector may not be able to get back to normal before at least the end of February. Disruption in March looks increasingly likely the longer the crisis lasts, the more likely is a global recession. Over the past few decades, global supply chains have come to rely on China for cheap components for automobile and electronics to shoes and garments. Sourcing materials and components from China is, a vital, is vital to keeping the global economy humming. If China cannot get back to normal soon, the disruption may push the global economy into recession. Many migrant workers, the main labor force for the factory sector, returned to a major production centers like Shanghai and Shenzhen last week. This is already one uh, week beyond the normal lunar uh, New Year holiday. Normal precautions require these workers to be quarantined for two weeks, and if everything works out perfectly, China manufacturing could get back to normal by end of February. Under the above best-case scenario, the global economy may avoid a recession, but a significant hit is unavoidable, and China's economy is obviously con uh, contracting even though official statistics won't show it. The financial ramifications will be a significant drag for many quarters uh, to come, and China's local governments and businesses have been struggling against high leverage amid slowing growth. A big hit like this will force many to retrench. So we'll see. Um, like I said, some of the stuff, who knows? Big with a grain of salt. I think I have one more here. And we're going to end it on this note. 
Global centralization is the cause of crisis, not the cure. From Zero Hedge. Once you understand the globalist mindset, almost everything they do becomes rather robotic and predictable. It should not be surprising that the World Health Organization, the WHO, a branch of the United Nations, has been so aggressive and cheerleading for the Chinese government in its response to the coronavirus outbreak. After all, China's communist surveillance state model is a beta test for the type of centralization that the UN wants for an entire planet. They certainly aren't going to point out that this that it was China's totalitarian system that allowed the outbreak to spread from the very beginning. There's you a nice picture there. All you got to do is stand up and the little game is over. Even now, Xi Jinping is trying to rewrite history, claiming that he had been swift in responding to the crisis more than a month before he actually did. The lie that the coronavirus mutated naturally in, in a food and an animal market in Wuhan continues to be peddled by the mainstream media, even though no evidence supporting this claim exists. And China is still releasing rigged death and infection numbers while they have over 600 million people under martial law lockdown and their crematoriums continue pumping out the fumes of, of the dead 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. By the way, I don't know if anyone else covered it, but we covered it. They have um, portable incineraries. So there's 40 of them put in Wuhan, the epicenter of this epidemic. And now what people are assuming is that they're going to be using those to help burn bodies to keep up with the uh, crematorium. So um, it's disgustingly sick. Brave health workers like Li Wing Lang, uh, who, punished, who was punished by the government for warning about the virus in December, have died in the process of trying to fight against the centralized behemoth just to get vital information to the world. But that never happened, right? It was actually President Xi and the CPC that saved the day. The WHO and the CD, CPC say so. You'll never hear the UN praise the efforts of Li Wing Lang. Uh, they want his name to disappear down the memory hole. As much as uh, as much as the Chinese government does, the developing narrative is a familiar one. Local officials stifled the response to the outbreak, while the centralized national leadership put things back on track with extreme control measures that have turned the Hubei province into a veritable internment camp. Whatever you do, don't point out that this was a national government's habit of imprisoning health officials that release quote false information that leads to the delayed reaction on the coronavirus. Also, don't point out that ground zero for the outbreak is just down the road from the largest level four biohazard lab in Asia because that would make you, quote, a conspiracy theorist. The message being pounded into the public consciousness is clear. Shut up and accept that centralization works. Even when it fails miserably, it is still the answer to all of our problems. All we have to do is adjust. The historical record a little bit every time the system breaks and then the institute even more centralization in response. In other words, the independent and draconian top-down structure of the globalist state leads to the crisis when it becomes uh, when it is because it was not centralized enough. Centralization always begets more centralization. A financial fascist system of the central banking and corporate oligarchy leads to the socialist welfare state, and the socialist welfare state leads to the surveillance state. The surveillance state leads to the martial law state, and the martial law state leads to the full-on global government governance and endless elitist empire.
failing of centralization have caused numerous problems long before it led to a potential pandemic. Pandemic supply clarifies the issues. For example, the breakdown in global supply chain is becoming bigger threat uh, by the day. The Baltic Dry Index, a measure of shipping rates as well as the global demand for goods, has essentially collapsed. This should have been the first warning sign that the supply chain was in trouble. But the mainstream doesn't pay attention to the fundamentals, only stock markets. InterApple, one of the largest companies in the world, which has now abandoned its projections for 2020 and finally admitted that the shutdown of the Chinese factories may just be a problem. Some mentally challenged people out there are scoffing sarcastically at the issue, saying, oh no, whatever we do, what will we do without iPhones? They don't grasp the wider implications. If Apple production is going down because of the supply chain distribution, uh, this is a signal that multiple companies and most of the economy are also going down because of supply chain distributions. It's not about iPhones, it's about the bigger picture. Globalism has led to the interdependent economies and nation states that no longer have redundancies in production. We have been forced to rely on production centers on the other side of the world for a vast majority of our goods. When China shuts down, the U.S. economy loses almost 20% of its supply chain. When Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Vietnam shut down from the virus, you can add another 10% to 15% on top of that. Retailers in the U.S. represent around 70% of GDP. Cut off the supply chain in Asia and retailers lose a vast array of goods to sell. The U.S. economy eventually shuts down also, even if the virus never spreads here. Some people argue that we don't need all that, quote, cheap plastic crap from Asia anyways, and the situation is, quote, a good thing. Sorry to break it to you, but America's economy was built on selling of cheap plastic crap along with the selling of the fiat dollar as the world reserve currency. Walmart... China Mart, if you discount agricultural products, is the largest employer in the U.S. and the world. After all, right or wrong, our, economy, our economic system is so globalized that the fall of the Chinese dominoes will eventually knock down our own dominoes. But when this disaster occurs and numerous national economies suffer from enforced globalist integration, guess what will happen next? The globalists will ride in uh, to, quote, rescue with even greater centralization. This was their agenda all along. Many people in the liberty movement are now aware of the Event 201 simulation, a war game ran by globalists in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum on, quote, theoretical coronavirus pandemic that kills 65 million people, which is based out of Brazil and not Wuhan, but nonetheless. Simulation took place only a couple months before the real thing exploded in China in December, but hey, Maybe that's all just an amazing coincidence. What concerns me even more is that the solution was presented at the end of the Event 201, the creation of a centralized global financial body that would manage the international response to the outbreak. Isn't it amazing how every major catastrophe caused by globalism seems to lead to more globalism? One might start to wonder if some of these events were triggered by incompetence or if they were deliberately engineered. At the very least, Crisis events have become allowed to fester unchecked by organizations like The Who as they continue to write off the coronavirus as a non-issue that is under, well under control by the Chinese government that has caused spread in the first place. So here's what's going to happen next. 
Best case scenario is that the Western world is mostly unscathed by the virus itself, but the economic supply chain suffers major setbacks. The global economy, which is already crashing over the past year due to historic levels of corporate and customer or consumer debt, not to mention faltering exports and freight, is finally tipped over the edge. The massive everything bubble, fueled by a decade of inflammatory central bank stimulus, implodes, and governments respond with totalitarian measures in the name of, quote, protecting the public. Globalist institutions like the IMF step in and suggest that frail national monetary systems come under the management of their special drawing rights basket in order to mitigate the debt crisis. Essentially, this is the first step to global governance. And they'll roll out your uh, cryptocurrency there too, because they're working on it, and I proved that the other day. To the worst case scenario, the virus spreads throughout the U.S. and Europe, and governments respond in the same way China's government has. Martial law and full-blown concentration camp culture. This will lead to a civil war in the U.S. because uh, we are armed and many people will shoot anyone trying to put us in quarantine camps. Europe most likely will be screwed. The establishment then suggests that paper money be removed from the system because it's a viral spreader. I've mentioned this and Dabu's mentioned this. It will happen. China's already pushing this solution now with the digital one. Magically, we find ourselves in a cashless society in a matter of a year or two, which is what the globalists have been demanding for years. Everything goes digital, and thus even local economies become completely centralized as a private trade dies. Again, this might be an engineered event, or it might simply be, simply be that globalists are exploiting a natural outbreak. Either way, they're not going to let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, that was that saying right there, Rahm Emanuel has repeated that, but initially that came from one of Hitler's uh, Nazi collaborators. Whether or not they succeed is dependent on several factors, but most likely is dependent on us. How many people will buy into the notion that centralization is the answer to our problems? How many people will realize that centralization is the cause of our problems? And how many people will fight to prevent ultimate centralization under a psychopathic globalist cult? A viral outbreak is a significant danger to us all, but an even greater threat is to is the supposed cure, creating our economic and social freedom in the name of stopping the coronavirus. No matter how deadly the bug, it's just not worth it. So, Salvation Nation, you have to go back and look at the last video I did. This isn't, it's not new. It was called the USC coin. Um, and I tell everybody this, and a couple other guys tell everybody this. Um, Bitcoin, all that stuff, hash rates were created by NSA. It's created by the government. It's a test to see whether people want a, tang a, a, a tangible promissory note via whatever fiat currency they use, or if they're more likely to try something new and get into the cryptocurrency field. Because then you can always sell it and translate it back to a fiat currency if you wanted to. But it's just a test. Everything is a test. The vaccines are a test. They test it on the military. The uh, cryptocurrency is a test. They test it on society and see how it would benefit a global banking system. I did all of that in the prior video this week. It's on my YouTube channel. <laughs> So, 
pretty much going to end on that. Um, this will be uploaded to the YouTube channel if you missed it. I've gone over all the um, pretty crazy news articles for today. Everyone that donated, I appreciate it. Um, and if you want to go to the website, the YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, website, merch store, any of those things, Patreon, all those things are in the About section on DLive. They're also in the About section on YouTube. So you guys can get all the information there. Like I said, I'm not going to post any of these articles. I'll tell you where I get the articles from. I'm not going to continue to post articles so that people just come over here and lurk in the background and take the information over to their channel without doing the work. I'm not going to do that anymore. I tell you where I get the articles on here, then they can go and hunt for them. I'm not going to do it anymore. So, this is what the video will be titled on YouTube. Global Centralization is the Cause of Crisis, Not the Cure. I will post it. This will be the main topic of that video. Um, if this will be uploaded to YouTube, I'll premiere it over there. Also, it'll be uploaded into uh, uh, podcast form, and you guys can get it on there. Podcast, you can watch it on, um, or you can listen to it from the website. Links to the podcast are also in the description. Anywhere, uh, anywhere podcasts are available. I'm going to go ahead and sign off here. I'm going to get this stuff uploaded, create a thumbnail, get all this stuff uploaded. And uh, I'll probably come back over here and stream later. So until later, uh, you guys have a, a wonderful afternoon. Uh, we'll do call-ins tonight. So if anyone wants to call in with information, then let's just do call-ins tonight. Um, we'll get Paul on here, and then we'll, we'll, um, uh, we'll try to do call-in to see if anyone wants to call in tonight. So until later on tonight, you guys have a wonderful afternoon, rest of your afternoon, evening. What time is it? 3.46. Have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Uh, you guys take care of each other, pray for each other, lift each other up, um, and watch out for those lurking jerk-offs who want to steal your content and sell it to someone else. So until next time, I'll see you guys later. Shalom. Y'all bless. Take care. Uh, you guys have a wonderful afternoon. I'll see you on later. Uh, if you want to catch this replay, I'm going to premiere it on the channel. If you're not subbed to YouTube channel and you want to catch this, go down into the About section um, uh, here on DLive, sub to the YouTube channel, and it'll let you know. Uh, sign up, hit the sub button, hit the uh, bell button, it'll let you know when it premieres and you can catch all this. So, I'll see you guys later. Have a good evening.